Well, today is Palm Sunday, which ushers in what we call Holy Week. This is, it's both the darkest and brightest week on the church calendar, because this week we celebrate the death and the resurrection of Christ. And so in addition to our Bible reading plan, we'll go through Philippians this week. We're also going to uh, walk through and pray through special scripture that guides us along with Holy Week. But what I want us to do together today, I want us to look at what happens in the Garden of Gethsemane, very famous account from Luke chapter 22. Uh, it happens late Thursday night. This is after, after Jesus has shared the Last Supper with his disciples, just before his betrayal and arrest. Jesus takes disciples with him, three in particular, Peter, James, and John, and they go to a place called the Mount of Olives, the Garden of Gethsemane. And it's right there that Jesus prays the most agonizing prayer in human history. I don't think there can be any doubt about it. It is a difficult thing to read because we see Jesus uh, in, a, in an emotional, spiritual state that we don't ever see him otherwise. And so I, I want to find in this scripture not just uh, difficulty, but, but gratitude. There's so much to be thankful for in this short account. So here in Luke chapter 22, we see uh, three major points. I want to point out three things to us. First, we see the agony of Jesus. Then we see the faithfulness of Jesus. And lastly, the grace of Jesus. His agony, his faithfulness, and his grace. I want us to read through the entire section together. This is Luke 22, verses 39 through 46. Luke says, And Jesus came out and proceeded, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples also followed him. When he arrived at the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and began to pray, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Now an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him. And being in agony, he was praying very fervently, and his sweat became like drops of blood falling down upon the ground. When Jesus rose from prayer, he, be, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping with sorrow, from sorrow. And he said to them, Why are you sleeping? Get up and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Now, I'll refer us also to Matthew 26. It'd be great to read Matthew 26. The same account is given to us in a bit more detail. And in fact, in some different details, Matthew and Luke give us fascinating details that differ uh, or that, or that complement each other. They don't differ. But Matthew tells us that Jesus actually prays three distinct times and returns to find the disciples asleep three times. Each time they're asleep all over again. And there's another thing we see in Matthew, this detail, which I think is very helpful and important. Matthew says, Jesus took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, and he began to be grieved and distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. 
Y'all, in the Gospels, we see a wide uh, range of emotions from Jesus. Jesus was not a stoic, somehow unaffected by the world and by his experiences. No, we see Jesus angry uh, over the money changers in the temple. We see him weep at the tomb of Lazarus. We see him rejoice at the ministry of his disciples. But to this point, we've never seen Jesus like this. My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. This is the agony of Jesus as he prepares for the cross. Now, look again at Luke 22, verse 44. It says, Being in agony, he was praying very fervently, and his sweat became like drops of blood falling down upon the ground. Luke is not being dramatic in his writing here. The human body can do this. The the human body is capable of sweating blood in moments of extreme distress. And this is meant to show us just how deeply troubled Jesus is in this moment. Why? Why is he in such agony? Well, the explanation is actually given to us in the prayer itself. We see it in verse 41. Jesus knelt down and began to pray, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. The cup is a symbol. We don't see it. Of course, there's no physical cup he's talking about. The cup is a symbol of terror and calamity and death. And especially for Jesus, this is the cup of God's wrath towards sin and evil. It's the cup of judgment. And to drink it is to experience total condemnation. It's to take on the punishment, the penalty, the condemnation for sin and evil. And see, this is the uniqueness of Jesus' purpose, something only Jesus can do, that he came down to lay down his life for sinners. But that requires drinking the cup. He must take upon himself the righteous judgment of God for every sin ever committed. Now, I've got to just admit this. I, I can't grasp what's going on here. The, the, the thought of taking upon himself the sin of the whole world, I, I just, I hear it, I say it out loud, it makes sense to me in some logical form, but I cannot grasp the weight of this. I don't think any of us can. See, it's one thing to die for a cause that you believe in. Lots of people have done that. It's another thing, an even better thing perhaps, to lose your life for someone else, to die in order to save another person. That's incredibly noble. But for the perfect, sinless Son of God to die by taking on the penalty for a world of sinners, we just can't imagine it. And this is why Jesus prays in such agony. But the prayer itself raises what I think is an obvious question. What what exactly is Jesus asking for right here? Clearly he's distressed, troubled, grieving, 
But what's he, what's he asking for? When he says, Father, if you are willing, let this cup pass from me. Is Jesus asking to get out of the cross? Is he asking, is he trying to abort the mission? See, what's interesting here, throughout his ministry, Jesus has been talking about this moment. Jesus predicted his own death and resurrection on multiple occasions. He even told us what his death was going to accomplish. Not just that he would die, but that his death was going to do something for us, for the world. He said the Son of Man came to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus was not at all confused about his mission and his purpose. It's not as if Jesus came into the garden here and he's now being blindsided by what's about to happen to him. What's going to come next? He doesn't know and now that he's figuring it out, it's too much for him to handle. That's not what's going on. Jesus is fully aware of what he came to do. It's simply that the overwhelming agony of his suffering is now right before him. I mean, he's, he's finally now standing at the cliff's edge, and the weight of it is crushing. So he prays to the Father, Is it possible for my victory over sin and death to come another way? I mean, is there any way to redeem the world apart from drinking this cup? Now, here's what I'll say about this prayer before we move on. This prayer should not diminish our view of Jesus at all. It should not lower our view of Jesus. I hope it doesn't for you. It's not meant to. What it should do is deepen our perspective on sin. See, we often treat our sins as small and insignificant. What's the big deal? But look at the weight of sin and what it's doing to our Savior. Look at what sin is doing to our Savior. Jesus wasn't sweating blood over my bad habits. Jesus was agonizing over suffering for my rebellion against God. And if I'm tempted to minimize my own need for God's forgiveness, this prayer of Jesus needs to remain fresh in my heart. It was my sin that led him to the cross. It was my sin that caused such agony that he knew he would have to suffer for me. And so Jesus was clearly distressed in agony, right? That's the first point. But then look, look at the faithfulness of Christ. The faithfulness of Christ. His prayer, you know, it doesn't end with that question. It ends with a statement. Yet not my will, Jesus says, but yours be done. How painful as it was, Jesus' single priority was always, always to do the Father's will. Listen to something he said. This is John chapter 8. Jesus said, When you lift up the Son of Man, meaning when you put me on the cross, then you will know that I am He, and I do nothing on my own initiative, but I speak these things as the Father 
taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone. For I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Even if it means going to a cross, I will always do what is pleasing to the Father. In the garden, Jesus is praying, Please, if possible, let this cup pass from me. But if my victory can only come by drinking this cup, then, Father, let your will be accomplished. That's the prayer. Now, there's a, there's a, for me, it's a very interesting scripture kind of buried in the middle of the book of Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 5, this is verse 7, the author of Hebrews, he's actually reflecting on this prayer, the prayer in the garden. And listen to what Hebrews 5 says. In the days of Jesus' flesh, he offered up both prayers and supplications with loud crying and tears to the one able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his piety. Jesus was heard in his prayers because of his submissive and holy reverence. You see what that's saying? Jesus cried out to the one able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his great faithfulness. But here's the twist. God did not save him from death, did he? Look at Luke 22, verse 43. Right after Jesus prays, If possible, let this cup pass from me, but not my will. Let your will be done. Verse 43 says, Now an angel of heaven appeared to him, strengthening him. God sends an angel into the garden to minister to Jesus, not to whisk Jesus away and rescue him from the cross, but to strengthen him. That was the angel's purpose. Now what's going on right there? The father is telling his son, no, there is no other way for this cup to pass from you. There is no other way. In order to defeat sin and death, you're going to have to go straight through it. The angel doesn't come to save Jesus from the cross, he comes to strengthen Jesus for the cross, for what's about to come. Now, Peter tells us later on that through all of Jesus' suffering, Jesus entrusted himself completely to the God who judges righteously. Jesus was faithful, even to the very end. Now, spoiler when Hebrews 5 says that Jesus prayed to the one able to save him from death, uh, God did not save Jesus from death on the cross, but he certainly did save him from death. Uh, it's something we call Easter Sunday. We'll get there next week. But this brings us to the grace of Jesus. We've seen the agony, the faithfulness, and now the grace of Christ right here. Why, think about this, why did Jesus even bother to bring Peter, James, and John with him. Certainly they didn't add anything to him in his moment of greatest need. 
Jesus brings them, and then, of course, he leaves them and walks the stones throw away, but he gives them a command. He says, stay here, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. That's their one assignment. And what do they do? They fall fast asleep. Remember, Matthew tells us they fell asleep three separate times. How can that be? This is, we're late in the fourth quarter. The game is on the line. <laughs> what are they thinking? Well, you know, Luke actually gives us a little clue. He says in verse 45, they were sleeping from sorrow. Uh, they were distressed also. They were distressed. But in the weakness of their flesh, they simply failed the test. Remember what Jesus said. He said, pray that you don't fall into temptation. And I think that's key. Peter, James, and John, they didn't fall asleep simply because they were tired. They succumbed to the temptation of the devil right here. And he was surely delighted to have Jesus' closest friends catnapping while Jesus is on the brink of death. I'm sure that made Satan quite happy. And so, you know, t tiny little sermon inside the sermon here. Let's be vigilant in prayer, especially in time of trial and temptation. I, I need to hear this more than anybody. Our flesh is desperately weak, and we must always be praying for God's mercy and strength. Always. Okay, tiny sermon's over. Jesus tells them to pray. They fail. Jesus comes and rebukes them. How does that reveal his grace? Remember, that's my, my third point. How does that reveal his grace? Because there in the garden where the disciples failed Jesus, Jesus does not fail them. Here in a moment, Jesus is going to be arrested. Keep reading in Luke. And the scripture tells us that all of Jesus' disciples desert him and they run away. Right after that, the chief disciple, Peter, denies ever knowing Christ. What hope could there be for such weak and cowardly men? Well, it's the same hope there is for us and for every sinner. Listen, when Jesus, when Jesus submitted himself to the Father's will to take the cup of judgment and drink it down to the bottom. His agony becomes our great hope. His suffering becomes our rescue. It's, it's obvious in reading this scripture, it's obvious that Jesus did not want to suffer the way he did. He didn't want to. He didn't relish the thought of drinking this cup. And on top of that, his, his very own disciples gave him no encouragement. I mean, at every turn, they're sleeping, they're running away, they're denying him. Wait, I'm supposed to die for these guys? I wonder if that ever came to his mind. And here's my point. Y'all, if Jesus, if Jesus were looking to his disciples to gauge how worthy they were, he wouldn't have died for them. I mean, and, and how much more, you and me? If God were making decisions on who to save based on our moral performance 
I wouldn't stand a chance. But that's the beauty of grace. That's the beauty of His grace. When Jesus says yes to the Father's will there in the garden, when Jesus says yes to drinking the cup, Jesus is giving His yes for us. For us. No matter how many times you've sinned against God, no matter how unworthy you may feel, Jesus drained the cup dry for you. Jesus took your sin upon Himself that you might be forgiven. While we were yet sinners, Paul says, Christ died for us. And so as we enter into Holy Week, uh, we're meant to embrace darkness. We're meant to look into the darkness. It's not a lot of fun. We don't always enjoy it. We're not meant to enjoy it. But we are meant to look in, to recognize what had to be done for the sake of the sin of the world. Jesus had to go through it. We're we're meant, in a sense, we're meant to visit the Garden of Gethsemane here and get a feeling for the weight of what Jesus went through. We're meant to look at the cross and recognize what it says to us. And we're meant to delight ourselves in a Savior who went straight through that darkness in order to bring us the light of life. Uh, there's a there's a simple little song uh, we used to sing growing up in Conroe Church of Christ. I love to share it when I can. Uh, it certainly fits today. The song goes like this. He paid a debt he did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. I needed someone to wash my sins away. And now I sing a brand new song. Amazing grace all day long. Christ Jesus paid a debt that I could never pay. Aren't we thankful? Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for showing us this prayer, this garden experience. You could have kept this hidden from us and and simply something that you and your son experienced uh, without our knowledge. But for us to peer in, to look in and see it, Jesus sweating blood, Jesus agonizing, Jesus asking if there's any other way. Father, help us to get a deeper sense of the sinfulness, the heaviness of that burden that Jesus knew he would have to carry on the cross. And I pray, Lord, for me, I pray it would sober me. My sin is no small thing. The weight of my sin for Jesus to consider what it would cost him to pay for it, to forgive it, was agonizing beyond belief. Lord, give me 
a, a deep and wonderful appreciation for this. That I would look to Jesus Christ with, with more gratitude than ever. Knowing how he agonized over what he had to do to make me your child. Lord, Lord give us that, that grace to see it and to celebrate that our Savior went through the greatest possible darkness in order to bring us his light. And Father, I pray this week that we would meditate in a special way, in a unique way. We ought to do this all the time, of course, but on Holy Week, Father, give us a, a deeper and greater perspective, especially as we're forced to shelter in place uh, Lord, as we may, we're, we're being forced perhaps to spend more time uh, with our thoughts, more time out of the ordinary, out of our habits and our routines. Uh, Father, bring us into new understanding. Bring us into new gratitude. Bring us into new delight. Even as we look at dark things this week some, and, and consider uh, very hard things, like this story, oh, that it would make us so deeply grateful and that our gratitude would spill over into holiness, into response, that we would love you, obey you, worship you all the more, seeing how much Christ has loved us and how great a cost he was willing to pay for us. We love you, Father, and we ask your mercy upon us this week. In his name, amen.